it is a Friday morning, and I want to thank you for returning to Tales of Southwest Michigan's Past. This is Michael Delaware. I am your host. Welcome back. Now, in today's episode, I wanted to explore some history of a city that I haven't done a whole lot of episodes before on. I have had a few guests to talk about it, and that is the city of Albion, Michigan. Dave Eddy's been on my program several times talking about some of the history of Albion in his early days, but I hadn't done a specific episode on some of the early history of Albion and more or less a general summary of the founding of the city and so forth. So I thought I would venture into that story today and tell you a few stories of the early industry of Albion. So come along and join me. So the first reference that I am going to be looking at today is a book that was published in 1894, and it was called A Souvenir of City of Albion, Michigan, in Photo Revier. And it was put together by James Field, who was the member of the class of 1896 at Albion College, Michigan. And he put this book together, which is more of a collection of old photos, but there are a couple of pages at the beginning that give a cursory history of the early city of Albion. So I wanted to read that to you, and then I wanted to tell you some of the stories that I found also. But first, let's read what Mr. James Field writes about the early history of Albion. He begins, beautiful, healthful, industrial, educational Albion, city of factories, schools, churches, and happy homes. The history of Albion dates back to a single log cabin in 1831. The first frame house still standing was built in 1835. The following summer, the town was platted. And then in 1844, July 4th, the Michigan Central Railroad was opened, ensuring the permanency of the town. A village charter was obtained in 1855 and a city charter in 1885. From the first, Albion had a constant, healthy, and substantial growth. She now has an area of four square miles, an assessed valuation of about 2 million and about 6,000 people, mostly of English descent, the remainder with few exceptions being Irish and German. Albion is situated on the Kalamazoo River in the midst of a splendid farming community in Calhoun County, southern Michigan, 95 miles west of Detroit and 189 miles east of Chicago, on the main line of the Michigan Central and Lansing branch of the Lakeshore and Michigan Southern Railroads. Two well-managed roads connect the old trunk lines east and west and south. Two deep artesian wells centrally located furnish the water for the city's splendid system of waterworks. The healthfulness of this water is shown in the fact that not a case of typhoid fever has occurred in the families of those using it. Scarlet fever and diphtheria are exceptionally rare in this city. The city is well-lighted by electricity and has a well-organized and fully equipped fire department. Not afraid of smoke, the city has encouraged factories till she is several of the best and most important in the state. Among these are the Gale Works, manufacturers of plows, drags, cultivators, rakes, etc., 
The Elms Buggy Company, manufacturers of buggies, carts, surreys, etc. The Albion Mailable Iron Company, manufacturer of all kinds of malleable and brass castings, patterns, a specialty. The Gray Iron and Brass Works, manufacturers of patent compound lever molding machine, gray iron and brass castings, hardware specialties, etc. Others are the Albion Milling Company, the Union Windmill Company, the J.W. Brent Medicine Company, and the Rosau Harness Company. It is said by traveling salesmen that Albion does more business than any other city of equal size to which they go. Albion has six newspapers, the Evening Echo, the Daily, The Recorder, and The Mirror, Weeklies, The Household Treasury, A Monthly, The Pleiad, and The Boomerang College Papers. Albion has the free delivery mail service. Albion's religious interests are guarded by six churches whose buildings are shown in this book, and her fraternal by more than a score of the best-known secret societies that have lodges here. Three blocks east from Superior Street on Michigan Avenue stands the Fine High School building, costing with a four ward buildings located in the cardinal corners of the city about $65,000. In these schools, over 1,200 pupils have been enrolled this year. 21 regular teachers are employed, also two special teachers for drawing and music. Four new rooms will be opened in September. Realizing the grave importance attending the results of school life, the 12 grades of years of study are laid out with much care, aiming at the training of the pupils' faculties, instilling a love for study, forming the best character and preparation for independent thought and investigation. The teachers are selected with special reference to the grade in which they are to instruct. Particularly, this is true in the primary department, where a peculiar quality of skill is needed. The high school prepares for the University of Michigan, as well as for Albion College. Albion College, founded in 1843, under the direction of the Methodist Episcopal Church, occupies a beautiful site in the eastern part of the city. It is not a theological seminary, but a college of liberal arts. Connected with the college proper is a preparatory school, a commercial school, a school of painting, and as fine a musical conservatory as can be found anywhere in the West. Albion College is modern in method, progressive in principle, and thorough in work. No doubt it is the foremost Christian college in the state. Included among her over 600 students are young people from nearly every state in the Union, as well as several from foreign lands. The success of her graduates speaks the merit of Albion College. Whoever would seek a business location in a thriving city, whoever would seek a beautiful home in a healthy and pleasant city, whoever would seek an education under the most favorable conditions, come, we have room for you, we welcome you. And that was the two-page introduction of The City of Albion, written by James Field in 1894. Now, he mentions the Elms Buggy Company. So I ventured on over to the historical Albion, Michigan website put together by Frank Pasick 
over in Albion. He's a pretty well-known historian in the area, and he really has a tremendous amount of written material on the early history of Albion. So if you're interested, I'll put the link in the show note description so you can check out some of this early history. A lot of this material has been put together by Frank. But he goes on to describe the Elms Buggy Company, and according to the Morning Star newspaper of December 28th, 1997, and I'm just going to read you part of it here. In 1880, the Albion Manufacturing Company was organized and began the production of farm implements. This was also known as AMC, and it was located on North Berrien Street, eastwards of North Huron Street, north of Lakeshore and Michigan Southern Railroad Tracks. President of the firm was the first National Bank President Samuel V. Irwin and Bank Vice President Dr. Willoughby O'Doe was the Secretary Treasurer and E.P. Burrell was the firm's general agent with Horatio Gale, superintendent of the plant. And then in 1882, the firm did $120,000 worth of business. That's pretty substantial for that time period. The AMC was known for its spring tooth cultivator and its daisy sulking hay rake. Later, Horatio Gale became its president and superintendent, while E.P. Burrell became the vice president and manager. The firm employed between 70 and 100 men, and wages were around $1.60 per day. The plant was located on the east side of North Berrien Street, while the office and lumberyard was located on the west side north of East Mulberry Street. The firm closed around 1890. The predecessor of the Elms Buggy Company originated in Jackson in 1879. Its president, Frederick L. Elms, purchased and reorganized the company and moved it to Albion in 1890, and he purchased the AMC site. Vice president and superintendent was Augustus J. Gale, treasurer was Charles B. Gale, and H.A. Waldorf as its secretary. And it's interesting to note the Gale family members' participation in the firm, as their ancestors had been the organizers of the Gale Manufacturing Company, a farm implement company. So the Elms Buggy Company erected new buildings when it was reorganized and established, with a total floor space of about 90,000 square feet. And in its final years of operation in the late 1890s, L.J. Wolcott was president, and Mr. Elms was vice president. The company manufactured a line of carriages, wagons, and carts in the final years before the automotive age. The firm was reorganized as the Albion Buggy Company around the turn of the century and closed after 1901. The Union Steel Screen Company purchased the site in 1908, and the rest is history. So I've covered stories about different buggy companies on this podcast before. I did a whole episode on one that was specifically in Marshall, Michigan, uh, the Page Buggy Company. And these were fascinating industrialized companies because some were much larger and some were smaller than others, but they were producing the mode of transportation of the day. And you can only imagine that men working there were thinking this is going to be my career, like this was going to be the long-term solution for transportation for quite a while, and all we're going to do is keep improving the buggy. And no one probably back in the 1890s ever envisioned the automobile. But early manufacturer of automobile did base its designs and 
functionality on the early buggies. If you look at the early Ford motor cars that were made, the Model T and the Model A, they all have throwbacks to some of the designs that you might have seen in the uh, higher-end buggies that were being made during that time with the material and the wheels and so forth. And you can see this transition over to a new way of thinking about uh, transportation happening when you look at the, the early buggies and you compare it to the early automobiles. Uh, very fascinating history there. Another manufacturing company that once existed in Albion was the J.W. Brandt Company of Albion, and they manufactured uh, patent medicine bottles. Uh, J.W. Brandt Company was located at 214 East Mulberry Street on the southwest corner of Monroe and Mulberry Street for about 50 years. The firm had come to Albion from Hillsdale in the late 1880s and was incorporated in 1889. The Brandt Company called themselves Manufacturing Chemists, and their main product was Dr. Wheeler's Nerve Vitalizer. And their advertisements of the time stated, It seems to be accepted fact among the gifted medical experts that nearly all diseases are more or less the result of a disordered or weakened nervous system. The firm originally was founded in 1848 by Dr. J.W. Brandt, who else? And the owner of the firm in Albion was James Shanley, who eventually served as the Albion mayor in 1901. And he's the only Albion mayor that uh, the Historical Society doesn't have a photograph of. Uh, the company was later acquired by J. Clifford Smith and Robert Baldwin, who operated it until World War II, when it was purchased by the Albion State Senator Warren G. Hooper. He was the uh, senator that was assassinated uh, in connection with the Purple Gang in Michigan history, and that's a whole other story by itself. After his untimely death, his widow uh, closed the place and sold what remained of the inventory out of her home for a short period. As you can imagine, the J.W. Brandt Company produced all sorts of patent medicines to fix whatever ailed you. Occasionally, people will dig up their bottles in yards and find them in attics or barns, and they're not super rare, but they do provide a glimpse of what the over-the-counter medicines looked like a century ago. And this was another article by Frank uh, Pasek over in Albion. And it's kind of an interesting historical note that he points out that the, the text is written in English, but then at the bottom there's also text written in German, which uh, kind of is a throwback to the time period of the population of Albion during those days when they were manufacturing. And the earlier reference that I read about the early history of Albion mentions the waterworks. So I wanted to give you a little bit of information on the waterworks building. Uh, this was the Albion Waterworks Building. It was erected in 1889 to provide water to the community of Albion's municipal water system, which was instituted at the beginning of 1889 as a result of two $50,000 municipal bond issues that were passed. The water was supplied from two six-inch wells at the site 162 feet deep. The 1893 Sanborn map described the site and the water system at the time as two Hughes pumps combined cap 8 million gallons per 24 hours. The waterworks building operated on steam heat provided by coal, and a coal bin 
once stood behind the brick structure. In 1906, the plant switched to a single-stage electric pump, and in 1909, a two-stage electric pump. A round reservoir holding tank had contained approximately 80,000 gallons of water, and this was constructed in front of the pump house where the actual wells were located according to the Sanborn map. When erecting a replacement concrete enforced reservoir in 1909, it was discovered that the casings to the two original wells had deteriorated to a point where they had to be plugged. The new reservoir held 250,000 gallons of water. Three new 8-inch wells were thereby drilled 100 feet deep to supply the city with its water. By 1912, a few years later, the city was pumping an average of 13 to 19 million gallons a month from this site. The water pressure and volume were supplied by the standpipe that was constructed in 1889 on the highest point in the town. Today is Crowwell's Park, next to where today's water tower still stands. This provided water pressure of 80 pounds to the square inch. As Albion expanded and grew, the city erected a new pumping station which opened in 1916 on North Albion Street. The East Cass Street location was then used as a backup well in case of failures. The reservoir tank in front of the Waterworks Building was demolished in November of 1961. The Albion Waterworks Building became the home of the Albion Recycling Center from the 1970s into the 1990s, and it was operated by Truman Barnes and a host of other community volunteers. Today, the building still stands and is now privately owned. So there's a quick little history of the Albion Waterworks Building. So I just wanted to give you some... uh, stories and early history of Albion today because uh, this is a city that I hadn't done one specifically on as far as an episode and I hope you found some of this interesting. Albion certainly uh, is like many Michigan towns that thrived and prospered because of its uh, connection to the Michigan railroad system and of course this helped augment their manufacturing base and the Albion College is still a major part of that community even today but that's going to conclude today's episode if you enjoyed hearing about some of this early history of albion today please be sure to leave a rating or review on whatever app that you are listening on and if you'd like to reach out to me you can find me at michaeldelaware.com i'm always happy to hear from my listeners and be sure to check out my calendar of upcoming book speaking events that I have lined up. I've been talking a lot about my book and I know I'm probably getting a bit old on this subject, but I just wanted to keep putting it out there. I really would enjoy seeing a lot of my friends and listeners from the podcast out there at some of these events. So take a look at my calendar. I've got uh, speaking engagements all over Southwest Michigan in the uh, months of March, April, and May so far. And I'm still planning a few more for May. I'm working on the May calendar right now. And of course, you can pre-order the book right there on my website, michaeldelaware.com. And until next time, when we take another journey into yesterday and explore even more fascinating tales of Southwest Michigan's past. Thank you for listening.